Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. We've got a packed show for you today uh, and we'd like to remind you that we have recently added a YouTube channel. Just search at Transfer Window Podcast on YouTube. Please subscribe and that way you can listen on that particular platform as well as, of course, all your usual podcast providers. With me, of course, today is Duncan Castles, as always. And we've got news for you in a packed show uh, on Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, well, everything you could possibly want from your transfer window. Duncan, we're going to start with Chelsea, who have been by far the most proactive club in the window so far. We're two days into the official opening of the window in the Premier League. And already, of course, we know Chelsea have signed Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner. Kai Havertz is being heavily linked and we know that Chelsea want to buy him, the player wants to come. Uh, So far, no fee has been agreed. But it's not just there where Chelsea's ambitions are stopping with regards to this particular recruitment period. Declan Rice and Ben Chilwell, there's also some um, progress to report on both of those. However, it's Havertz who uh, dominates the news at the moment. We did report to you last week on the podcast that Chelsea's uh, senior football consultant, Petr Cech, would travel to Germany, which he did on Monday of this week, to meet with Leverkusen. However, that particular negotiation has yet to produce a result in terms of agreeing a fee. Leverkusen remains stuck on their demand of £90 million, around €100 million, for their 21-year-old German international. Chelsea are only willing to start the bidding at around £50 million for the player and believe that the precedent has been set by the €60 million they spent on Timo Werner, who is three years older, but has been the leading scorer behind Robert Lewandowski of Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga this season. However, Frank Lampard's priority and one of the things that he wants to ensure is uh, part of his rebuilding in the six weeks before next season's Premier League opens is to augment and indeed strengthen at both centre-back and left-back. Duncan Havertz, um, we've talked about extensively on the podcast. We know what he brings and also we believe that uh, his transfer will be partly dependent on players leaving, most likely Jorginho to either Juventus or Inter Milan. With Rice and Chilwell, I think what's interesting in terms of developments there is that West Ham have avoided relegation uh, since obviously last weekend's games. And Rice uh, has stated uh, to his employers his desire to leave for a club that's playing in European football. Whereas Chilwell, despite the fact that 
Leicester City have made Europa League is more than ever uh, determined to join a Champions League club. Whereas if, of course, Leicester had not lost to Manchester United, he would have been at a Champions League club. Um, this is a massive outlay by Chelsea, considering uh, the sort of thrifty way that they have um, used transfer funds, um, obviously under the uh, auspices of one a ban for, for one window um, in the last year. But still, it's, it's, it seems like a huge statement of both faith and intent in Frank Lampard's first coaching job in the Premier League. Well, you have to say that they've been helped by scraping into the Champions League on the final day of the Premier League season with 66 points, one of the lowest ever totals to qualify um, a Premier League club direct to the Champions League group stage. Um, so obviously there's a lot of additional revenue there. And um, I think it aids Lampard's case to have money spent on the defence. There's been this argument and debate at Stamford Bridge um, through uh, the January window and we all expected them to spend money where Lampard talked quite openly about having a large budget and um, his desire to improve the team mid-season. Um, but nothing happened because there was this um, dispute between Lampard and uh, Marina Granovskaya over where the money should be spent. Um, there was an effort to try and get Jaden Sancho in that window, something that Lampard was not happy about, didn't want um, a 100 million euro plus transfer fee, the first big transfer fee spent under his management to be on a player in a position um, where he felt that the club was um, relatively well served and uh, where he thought there, there could be a, a question mark of whether they would um, get value down the line from that transfer. Um, and he has, as you've said, been saying that the important area to improve to get this Chelsea team to the next stage is defence. Um, and he cites the goals against, um, which is by some margin the worst of those five teams that were competing for the Champions League places. And the, and the goal difference, which again was the worst of those teams competing for the Champions League places, um, importantly uh, left Kepa out um, as goalkeeper for that decisive final match against Wolves, where Wolves were playing to try and guarantee themselves a Europa League place and managed to win. So that, that's a big statement to, to drop the most expensive goalkeeper by transfer fee in the world for that match, um, which has paid off for him. They did get the win and they are into the Champions League. Needs centre-back, at least one centre-back to improve things. Would like a left-back who will be fully committed going forward to the club. And um, obviously, if you have Ben Chilwell, they're interested in the move. You're picking up a young um, English player who you can build around for you know many years to come. Um, but I, I think that this is now a key moment to see where the money is spent. We don't have that much time until uh, the restart of the, the Premier League season. Um, Chelsea have been, as you say, very aggressive in, in getting that deal in place for Timo Werner. They're trying to take advantage of Kai Havertz availability. He has been presented to them as an option. Um, Bayer Leverkusen want 
to get a, as much of a transfer fee as possible for the player, but they're doing it in a market where Bayern Munich appear to have said, we're not going to do this deal. We're not going to spend heavily on the player this summer. Uh, so you'll have to wait if you want us to come in and buy him. There doesn't seem to be a direct competitor. Um, the word from people around Havertz is his preference would have been to go to Real Madrid, but we know that Real Madrid, in the shape of um, Florentino Perez, have said they will not be doing very big-scale transfers this summer. Whether Havertz fits into that very big-scale transfer is, is open to question, but it looks like the, the, the possibility of him going there this summer has been ruled out. So his option is, um, at present, Chelsea or stay another season at Leverkusen. And the word from Germany is that he has decided that he wants to leave this summer, um, partly motivated by Leverkusen missing out on a Champions League place themselves. And uh, and he's ready to go to Chelsea, that the the, um, the financial terms and offer there are a significant improvement over those um, he has paid at Leverkusen. He's still on a, a contract he signed as a teenager, just turned 21 um, very recently. So uh, there is an advantage for Chelsea there and, and he's, uh, the personal terms will not be as expensive as some more established players would be to um, secure. Uh, the question comes down to whether they can get him at a good price um, that Leverkusen will accept this summer. Uh, and probably to what degree Havertz is prepared to force that move over the next couple of weeks. Two things um, strike me, Duncan, about Chelsea's transfer policy in this window compared to seasons past. One um, is that the policy they've pursued, as well as the money they have uh, retained and indeed profited from, from selling players in recent seasons, means that their average spend, net spend per season has been um, mainly uh, almost in profit. And secondly, the transfer ban, of course, that they were under from FIFA uh, meant that they couldn't spend last summer. Now, in the COVID pandemic environment, where even the most elite clubs, and you mentioned Real Madrid, and we know Barcelona are in huge financial problems, and, and we know that even clubs like Tottenham Hotspur um, are not prepared to spend this summer. Arsenal as well are not overly um, well uh, financed in terms of transfers. Liverpool have indicated they won't be spending big. Seems like Chelsea are taking advantage of that because this aggressive policy that they're pursuing is uh, almost like they're taking advantage of what has been two or three years of fiscal um, impunity with regards to what they've spent. So even though Kai Havertz looks like a little bit of a luxury buy compared to the midfielders they already have, um, and with Chilwell and Declan Rice on the radar as well, and that's going to cost them another £100 million, you'd have to say approximately, that they are the team who have decided, OK, we're going to go for it. Um, big change. Big turnaround. Yeah, I, I think they have the resource because of the transfer ban. Um, that that's 
saved them from spending money last summer that, that's been accumulated. Um, they have seen a number of their, their academy players increase massively in value because they've played this season. Um, and they see an opportunity in the market. I don't think there's any question that Timo Werner would not be at Stamford Bridge if it wasn't for COVID and the combination of COVID and, and Liverpool winning the, the Premier League by such a massive margin. Jurgen Klopp wanted to sign the player and, and put a huge amount of effort into convincing the player to come. Um, your information, our information was that he had been convinced that Liverpool was the right place to go to. That was his preference. But when it came down to it, they would not pay the uh, release clause on the contract and that allowed Chelsea to come in, it allowed Frank Lampard to come in and persuade uh, Werner that Chelsea was a good place for him to further his career and they, they got the player and that is a you know a strike against um, opponents who are in a superior position to take a player as a result of their willingness to spend, having the resource to spend and taking advantage of the market as it is. And I think Havertz is exactly the same strategy in action. Um, again, Havertz has been offered to them. And again, they're in a position where they look like they are the only club um, at present who can get to the money um, Leverkusen may accept and get the player over the line um, to them this summer. I think the question is how aggressive and and how much further largesse Granovskaya and Abramovich are prepared to put into the market for Lampard and how many of the players that Lampard wants and the positions that he wants filled will also be sorted out. Because if they don't improve in defence, Lampard will not be happy with this window. Whatever he says at the end of it, he is asking for the defence to be improved as a priority. Uh, and... Uh, and you can understand why he wants it to be improved as a, as a priority. Goalkeeper, I think, is the most complicated because they would have to find a, uh, a buyer for Kepa or be prepared to take um, a significant loss by perhaps loaning him out for a season to another club um, and hoping that he has a good season and they can get some of their money back on the transfer fee down the line. They have looked at other options. Andrea Nana has been offered to him as an interest in the Ajax goalkeeper. Mike Mignon at Lille is also um, of interest to them and would be cheaper, considerably cheaper than Nana in terms of uh, transfer fee and salary. Um, I think there are other options that, that can be explored, um, some within the, within the Premier League as um, replacement goalkeepers. Um, but the, the, I think the very interesting thing to watch here is how much of this gets approved. Um, if Havertz is done, how much extra budget is there for those extra positions? Does uh, Lampard manage to get Declan Rice, who wants to come to Chelsea? Um, will he get a left back? Will he get a new goalkeeper? One rather amusing anecdote, which was, has been told to me in the last few days, uh, Duncan, is uh, one which goes way back to when Ronald Abramovich first took over uh, control of Chelsea in the 2003 season. Um, I think if you remember, their first game um, was away at Anfield and uh, Abramovich was there with all of his uh, key associates and confidants and uh, they came back from behind to get a draw 
And there are some iconic pictures of Abramovich celebrating like they'd won the league that day. Uh, and of course, the rivalry between Chelsea and Liverpool grew from there and of course was exacerbated, well, very much exacerbated uh, by the infamous ghost goal in the Champions League semi-final in that same season. And uh, the anecdote that was told to me was that one of the things that has inspired or indeed motivated Abramovich to fund uh, a spending spree this summer was the fact that Liverpool have won the league for the first time in 30 years uh, because he feels more aggrieved about that than he would have done about Manchester City or Man United winning the league. So um, it's quite interesting. If that, and we know that a Roman Bramovich, is, is, is he can be quite, a, although he looks extremely cold most of the time, um, he can be quite a passionate man. And indeed, that memory um, of Liverpool in his first season still... Uh, holds very, very resonant for him. So um, it could be an interesting season ahead for that reason. One other bit of Chelsea news is that the agent of William, uh, one Kia Jarabjian, has met with Chelsea in the last 48 hours and in a significant concession to Lampard, um, they have changed their position. That is, Chelsea have changed their position, offering Willian two years with the possibility of game time. Now, normally uh, this is appearances, um, which triggers a clause which then extends the contract. But my understanding is that in actual fact, this is about game minutes, which is an interesting departure from the traditional uh appearances so normally just getting on as a sub for the last minute uh, means it, you, you, that counts towards your add-on or, uh, with regards to triggering the extra part of your contract but game minutes has been included in that offer and that William and his representatives are currently looking at that uh, particular proposition and deciding about how that that will work and whether or not they should sign up for it because that would be two years plus one if he achieves game minutes over those two years uh, to um, trigger a clause for a third year. But Duncan, given that the club has pursued a fairly rigorous um, policy of one-year extensions only for players over 30, um, and Frank Lampard, as we have reported on the podcast previously, um, has tried to persuade the Chelsea board of his importance, not just on the pitch, although that I think is self-evident, but also because he is a good influence in the dressing room. He is a model professional. He is an example to the young players who absolutely adore him as well. The fact that they're now changing that, not changing the policy, but let's just say bending it towards offering William two years ex with a potential extra year. Says a lot about their faith in Lampard and also that they want to back him. I think so. Um, William's been very clear on this, that he wants a three-year deal, he prefers to stay in London, um, that he's happy to stay at Chelsea if they give him that three-year deal. And this is obviously a compromise where they haven't 
actually given offered the three-year deal but they're giving him a, a good opportunity to secure it for himself and and maybe something that he will decide to go for he has been offered to arsenal by kiajir option um Jose Mourinho was interested in taking him to Tottenham before uh, COVID hit Tottenham's finances so heavily. Um, and I think that's become a more difficult deal uh, for Tottenham to complete because of age and because of the cost of the, of the, the contract um, over that period of time. Um, I think it is a show of faith in Lampard in the sense that, yes, this is a player that that Lampard rates highly for his professionalism and for his ability on the pitch and the quality of his training. Um, but I think also it probably doesn't hinder Willian's opportunity to get a new contract at Chelsea that he is represented by agents who have done a lot of business with Chelsea in the past. So were they to bend their over 30s rule for one player, it uh, wouldn't come as a particular surprise that they did it for this player from the perspective of what he does in the field, from the perspective of the manager's faith in them, and from the perspective of who his representatives are. As always, we will bring you the news here on the Transfer Window podcast with regards to that particular negotiation, as well as all the other ones Chelsea are currently involved in. However, we're going to move to Manchester United, where there's the classic, and we like to give it this little term, transfer merry-go-round um, regarding um, Jadon Sancho and also Lille, and obviously Borussia Dortmund, who um, is Sancho's club at this moment in time. Duncan, there is quite a bit of, um, let's just say, uh, ooh, comings and goings and uh, and uh, chats with all sorts of different um, parties with regards to how the Sancho problem might be resolved. But the Usman Dembele one is maybe the most interesting uh, with regards to a new name in the frame for Manchester United, potentially, as well as who's behind the move. Yeah, look, Sancho has been the first choice for that position for some time. Um, the personal terms are good with Manchester United and, and Sancho's representatives, so that side of it has been dealt with. Uh, the problem, of course, has been that Dortmund want over €100 million Euros for the player and, uh, and have been insistent that they won't back down on that pricing. Manchester United have made it clear that they don't want to spend over £50 million on any one player. In this window, that's they they briefed that information out. They've been talking about that in in various meetings with um, with player representatives and complaining about the damage COVID has done to their finances. Um, and they have, as we've said in the podcast many times, been particularly generous in the way they've dealt with COVID. In that they haven't reduced wages, they haven't um, laid off any of their staff, even temporary staff, and they put a lot of money into local communities to try and um, alleviate problems of, of COVID in, in Manchester. They are now in a much stronger position because they have, like Chelsea, managed to scrape into a Champions League qualifying place. It's worth even more money to them than Chelsea because it stops them from losing um, a significant amount of sponsorship uh, income, particularly in their, their uh, shirt deal with Adidas. So they have more money to play with now, which, of course, Borussia Dortmund will be absolutely well aware of and will be insistent on acquiring more of for themselves. Dortmund have 
a replacement. I've been working on replacements for Sancho should they manage to get the price they want for him this summer. One of those players that they have targeted and lined up is uh, Jonathan Iconi at Lille, the um, young France international who's had two seasons, two successful seasons at Lille, helping them finish second in Ligue 1 and uh, getting them into the Champions League and, and also qualifying them for Europe. Again, Lille value the player at 45 million euros and would be happy to sell to Dortmund if they get that fee. Um, and I've been told, I understand by Dortmund, that they will move for the player should Sancho be sold. So there is um, action in place from Dortmund to prepare themselves for that Manchester United bid. Interestingly, United are also looking for alternatives in the position. And one of the players that they have inquired about is the Barcelona forward, Osman Dembele. Um, I understand that they contacted Barcelona recently um, to ask what uh, kind of fee would be involved in taking the player on loan, what the, the wage costs are going to be. And, and I understand that was driven by um, Solskjaer himself. So I think from that, you can take the importance of improving in the right wing position to Solskjaer for his plans for next season and a, and a sort of degree of concern over whether Sancho can be done, whether the, the funding will be in place to do the very expensive um, buy that Sancho represents um, and, uh, and having alternatives worked on because um, we all know that Barcelona want are ready to let Dembele go in this window. They'd prefer to sell him, um, but uh, an opportunity to take his wages off the books is something that Barcelona will look at. And if you can get Dembele fit and focused, and these are very, very big ifs, then you've got a player who was, um, again, a Dortmund player, one of the, the players Dortmund signed at a young age, developed um, at their club, sold for a, a big transfer fee and, and you know, was considered part of the solution by Barcelona for losing Neymar only um, three years ago. So a, an interesting alternative move um, from Manchester United um, and uh, a, a lot, I think, still to be resolved there in terms of who the best um, player for the position is and how much money the Glazers are prepared to put into that deal with United also looking for um, an improvement at, on the left side of their central defence that uh, that we mentioned um, last week. Would be an interesting stopgap, Usman um, Dembele, in terms of uh, we know the problems that United are having negotiating a fee with Dortmund for Jadon Sancho. Uh, we reported, of course, two weeks ago that uh, they agreed personal terms with the player. Um, but we also know that with Sancho's contract running down, it would be an easier transfer in terms of fee for United to do a, a year from now. So taking a player on loan like Dembele, although I would have to caution that given Barcelona's um, current financial difficulties, yes, they would be very happy to get him off the wage bill for a year or most of his wages, um, but they would probably want to include a statutory um, transfer, permanent transfer fee on that contract, which probably United would be a little bit 
apprehensive about agreeing to given the players' uh, form and injury and indeed off-field uh, distractions, let's just say. So even though it may look on the surface like a, a deal which would be uh, convenient for all parties and the circumstances, I still think it would be uh, a difficult one to conclude uh, in the detail because uh, we know that Barcelona want to recoup money on Dembele. Um, with regards to Manchester United, Duncan, um, I have to say that uh, I, I saw uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's tribute to Jurgen Klopp on his um, winning of the LMA Manager of the Year. It was it was it was nice tribute, and and you know it's. Um, Obviously, humbling for Klopp to take this Sir Alex Ferguson trophy for Manager of the Year. Uh, it was short, um, but I just wondered what Fergie was thinking um, about his own club in saying to Klopp, well done for getting that trophy after 30 years. This is the man, of course, who famously said, I came here not Liverpool off their perch. And... Uh, and yet, Manchester United fans find themselves either the realistic ones thinking, is this as good as it gets, third place in the Premier League, uh, and others celebrating third place in the Premier League and saying this is a triumph for Solskjaer. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting and fascinating where Manchester United are as a club at the moment. And I think it's a, you, you look at what's happened this season and you see the importance of changing perceptions and, and changing expectations at a football club because you have them finishing third, 33 points behind first place um, with their second lowest ever total in the Premier League of points. Um, and you have Willie Gunnar Solskjaer um, after that game saying that to finish third with this team and this squad and where we have been with this rebuild has been a massive achievement by everyone. Uh, you know, they're pretty big words, a massive achievement to finish third, 33 points behind uh, a Liverpool side winning the title. Um, and if you can break this down in various ways, but they are the only team in the 25 years of 38 game season Premier Leagues to finish uh, third and be closer to the relegation zone than they are to the champions. So 33 points off the top, 32 points from relegation. Um, the gap to the, the champions is bigger than any team has ever had in, in third place and, and by, a, by a considerable margin as well. They, you can look at it in the context of what... Ligon Solskjaer inherited and what the criticism was of Manchester United when he came into the job. So in the final season, full season before Solskjaer was appointed, Manchester United finished second in the Premier League um, with 81 points. And that was considered by a lot of the, the people who are praising Solskjaer's job of work. And we're talking about, in particular, um, former Manchester United players. Are praising what Solskjaer has done as being 
unacceptable. I think the words disaster were mentioned, that things had to change at United, that they had, it, it was not suitable for a Manchester United team to be so far off the pace um, when it came to a Premier League title challenge. Here we are two years later, they're on 66 points, 15 points less. They're third. They're 33 points off the top. They have exactly the same total of points for the season as they did in Solskjaer's first season. So Solskjaer, you would, would of course argue that he was handicapped in his first season because he inherited a team dispirited by Mourinho's leadership. Um, where there'd been conflict with the board over recruitment, where the players had lost faith in the manager. Yet, given a full season to work with, he cannot and has failed to improve on the 66 points he took in that season. Um, they have spent more than any other club on the transfer market during that season. Um, a, a record transfer fee, world record transfer fee for Harry Maguire. £85 million pounds for a centre-back, um, record fee for a specialist full-back, um, £47 plus £8 million for Juan Bissaka, and then in January another £55 million guaranteed and €25 million Euros of, of uh, performance-related bonuses for Bruno Fernandes. They also gave David De Gea the Premier League's um, most expensive contract during that season. So there, there has been very significant investment in the team to get them to the same points total as they had last season. Um, you have Maguire as, as one of those improvements and, and it was interesting to listen to Ryan Giggs talking about Maguire, Michael Owen talking about Maguire ahead of the, the Leicester game uh, and saying that, um, identifying that he has a problem playing against pace, something we identified on the transfer podcast before he was even signed for Manchester United and said it would be an issue through the season and, and it would cost Manchester United points, which of course it did. And um, Giggs arguing that they'll need to sign another centre-half to go to the top, top level to play alongside Maguire if they want to further improve as a club because they're now playing further up the field and not playing a, a, a counter-attacking style in, in almost every match and sitting deep. And that exposes Maguire. Now, it's... It's quite frightening that you spend £85 million on a centre-back and you're going to have to go and buy another centre-back to solve the problems to play the Manchester United way uh, going forward. Uh, that didn't happen with Virgil van Dijk. When Liverpool signed Virgil van Dijk, they resolved their defensive, their significant defensive problems in one go for less money. Um, you can add into this that they get there with a Premier League record, 14 penalties awarded. No club has ever had as many penalties in a Premier League season. I think at least a third of those penalties were questionable, if you, you look over them. Um, they get there on the last day with that penalty um, against Leicester City in a game where they could have gone either way. They weren't looking um, impressive performers. In that match, you have Solskjaer afterwards admitting that his team was very tired and that everyone could see they were very tired. Um, and you have Brendan Rodgers saying, well, he would have been interested to see if the, if Leicester had got that penalty had it been at the other end of the pitch. And, you know, it, it did look as though Johnny Evans got some of his foot on the ball. Um, I don't think it was a penalty that could be 
overturned by VAR because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. And I think most referees would have given it from the position they saw um, because from behind it would have looked like a penalty. So in most seasons you get that one, but there's no doubt that Manchester United have benefited from more penalties than any other team uh, in the history of the Premier League. And they've also benefited extensively from, from VAR this season, yet they only just get in there. So he, he's had a lot going for him, um, but there's no significant improvement uh, in the points totals they've de delivered in the Premier League. However, he's, he's made the target. The target was to qualify for the Champions League. You can argue all you have to do is be better than your opponents to get in there. They have done that in one, a season where the, the depth in the Premier League has been I think weaker than ever before. And you see that from the distance, the other clubs, um, particularly the big six clubs, apart from Manchester City have been, have been off um, Liverpool. And um, and it, I think the test is what happens to him now. He has got them into the Champions League. Um, he's had that big spend last summer and January. Um, he can push now the Glazers to spend again. Um, and what he can achieve and in breaking that points total down and, and making them properly competitive as a, as title contenders again. Um, and what the perception will be from those same pundits in the next season, will they be as generous towards him? Will they avoid criticizing all of his, uh, uh, errors that he makes in terms of preparation and tactical decisions? Um, whether just a few points more will be sufficient for the argument to be that he's making great progress, he's improving Manchester United, he's bringing them back to uh, the way they should be. When actually, um, if I think if you went to Manchester United fans two years ago and said to them, in this 1920 uh, season, you're going to finish third, 33 points behind Liverpool. Um, you're going to be happy with that. I, I don't think many of them would have said yes if you'd asked them that two years ago. Indeed, I'm not sure I'd be very happy if I bought a Porsche, and um, someone then said to me, "Well, if you wanted to go faster, you have to buy a Lamborghini to tow it." Um, <laughs> so, so um, with regards to the analogy of uh, Harry Maguire and buying another centre half, we need to be quicker than him. But uh, that's one that remains to be seen with this particular transfer window. Also on the lookout for centre-half, interestingly, are the champions Liverpool, having sold Diane Lovren, who infamously, and I say that with complete genuine uh, statement, uh, said uh, after the World Cup, the last World Cup, I think they have proven them one of the best centre-halves in the world, uh, has joined Zenit St. Petersburg for £10.9 million, which is cheap for one of the best centre-halves in the world. Um, but clearly, they're now short in that particular department and need to strengthen. And Duncan, a player who we, we've loved to talk about over the last six months, um, Napoli's Caldo Koulibaly, um, seems to be, interestingly, given the uh, very, very strong interest from Manchester City, maybe, just maybe, on the radar of Liverpool now as well. Well, we reported a few weeks ago on the podcast that Liverpool were 
in the market for a centre back. Um, they think, had a couple I think, of. I think the technical phrase is sniffing about. <laughs> the, the, the couple couple of strategic options. One one is to sign a left-footed centre back who can also play at left back um, and provide cover for um, Andy Robertson because I'm not convinced that they have um, a young player coming through the ranks who can who can provide proper cover should Robertson get injured or need rest in the, in the coming season. And that interestingly is something that Manchester City are are also trying to do as one of their centre-back purchases as a left-sided centre-back who can operate at, at full-back um, too. Um, and then would be to go for, the other option would be to go for a quality centre-back. And there is word from those in Italy um, who are monitoring Napoli and the Caladu Koulibaly um, sale and remember, Napoli are, are very much in a position where they want to sell this player. They've told Gennaro Gattuso that Koulibaly will, will be sold this summer. Been trying to get 75 million euros for the player. And the player is expecting to leave and has told friends that he thinks his most likely destination is Manchester City. Although publicly he said he's not ruled out the possibility of signing a new contract there. But the word in Italy is that Liverpool are interested and are possible buyers for him. That would be a major surprise were they to do that because it is serious money being spent on a player in his late 20s who would be, a yes, a massive improvement to their defence um, and would be a real statement to put him in alongside uh, Virgil van Dijk and leave Joe Gomez as, as cover for the two or, or playing um, from time to time at right back. Um, and would be a big surprise given that they stepped away from that Timo Werner deal that uh, that Klopp wanted. Um, but as I say, uh, the word in Italy is there is a degree of interest from Liverpool and Koulibaly and not to rule them out as, as a possible destination for the player. And certainly if you wanted to do damage to Manchester City and keep them in their place, um, preventing them from buying their first choice centre-back would be a tactical move that um, other clubs have done in similar situations in the past. Something which the Liverpool uh, of the 1980s would regularly do, would simply cherry-pick best players uh, who were interesting their rivals. And of course, Sir Alex Ferguson was a big fan of doing similar with regards to uh, buying the players who he felt might damage or had damaged them uh, at other clubs, but uh, would then uh, he would then recruit for Manchester United. Um, obviously, Eric Jemba Jemba being excused in that particular category. Um, to finish off today's podcast, we want to uh, just mention the curious case of the self-styled Buffalo Soldier at Ibrooks, the one and only Alfredo Morelos, the man with a charge sheet longer than many, many train robbers uh, with regards to his various suspensions. Um, Duncan, this is a strange and curious case because but Rangers seem to be shifting the goalposts with regards to the fee. Yeah, look, this is a, a deal that's wrapped up in some of the other stuff we've, we've talked about today because um, they all have the money to sign Morelis because they've sold... 
um, Victor Asimhen to Napoli um, for 70 million euros plus 10 of performance related bonuses. Now that deal from Napoli is going to be funded by Kaladu Koulibaly's sale. Um, and Leo then have to find a, a new forward, obviously. Um, they're looking at several options, as they always do. Um, they are exceptionally skillful in the, the transfer market. Jonathan David at Ghent is the Canadian striker, is one of the players they would like to bring in, but they'd also like Alfredo Morelos from Rangers. Rangers want to sell Morelos. Um, he's been there three years. He has scored heavily for them, but there have been various off-field incidents and issues um, and uh, controversial interviews and translations of interviews. And Morelis has made it clear that he is um, interested in leaving, uh, keen to further his career. And he has name-checked leagues that he would like to go to and play at a higher level. Um, my information is that Leo have agreed personal terms with Morelis. Um, and they also believed they had agreed a transfer fee with Rangers. So um, I was told that Rangers initially asked 12 million euros for the player. Um, Lille agreed to pay that only for Rangers to increase their asking price to 13 million euros, which I'm told Lille also agreed to pay, only for Rangers to step up again and go 2 million more this time to 15 million euros. Um, I think in the context of the Asimhen deal going through and realising that Leo had more money to play with than they expected, Leo again saying, OK, we'll pay 15, and then Rangers asking for more money. And, and the, the word in Scotland at present, um, probably coming out of Rangers, is that they're looking for about 20 million euros for the player. Now, Leo are understandably getting a bit fed up um, with this negotiating process and the um, what they consider the unprofessionalism of it and uh, want it resolved this week, ideally in the next day or two. Otherwise, they will go and, and sign an alternative target. And they have a you know, head of recruitment in Lewis Campus who um, is renowned for buying well uh, and renowned for getting uh, value in the market and developing players and uh, and selling them on at good prices. So I think they will have other options available to them. And um, I think Rangers need to play this carefully because if they push too high on the fee, they could lose the chance of the windfall of getting Morales sold early in the summer. Um, Leo start uh, back in league on in the 23rd of August is the first game. So they want their, their new striker in um, to train and work with them as soon as possible. Um, and I, I think there is a doubt as, it, as things stand um, as to whether Rangers will be able to get the same kind of transfer fee elsewhere if they do keep raising the price on Leo and Leo walk away because they, they don't like the negotiating stance Rangers are applying here. Yeah, strange one. That it's not so much shifting the goalposts as putting down cashmere jumpers for goalposts, um, as far as Rangers are concerned. That brings up the news uh, uh, in terms of Lille and Rangers. We um, will just make a mention um, of another Liverpool player who departed this uh, week. This time, Adam Lallana, who has joined Brighton on a freedom of contract. On a three-year deal, uh, a reported 
contract worth around £4.6 million per year. Um, Duncan, this seems to represent a, a, a major shift in uh, recruitment policy for Brighton Hove Albion, who have tended to go for younger players um, and also have a fairly rigid wage structure, which um, sees their captain, Lewis Dunk, on around £60,000 per week. Uh, 4.6 million for Lalana would be around 90,000 pounds per week. So uh, what does this tell us about Brighton's ambitions for next season and indeed the role of Graham Potter and indeed technical director Dan Ashworth, who's now been in the job for just over a year? Well, certainly a change of stance from Brighton. Um, I understand that they, they feel they need more creativity in midfield. They feel they need a, a player who can operate um, as a number 10 uh, and get more chances to their, their strikers. And, and obviously, Adam Lalana of old was a player who'd very much um, fit that role. Um, one of the most creative players in the Premier League for a period of time. But you, you have to say it, it comes across as a bit of a risk in terms of what Adam Lalana they are getting. Um, he's now 32 years of age. He has been bedogged by injury for the last three seasons. Um, he's played just 40 Premier League matches over the last three years. Uh, one start, 236 minutes in 2017-18. Five starts, 464 minutes the following season. And this season, three starts, 373 minutes of Premier League football. Um, his last Premier League start, was in December, and the last time he completed 90 minutes in the Premier League was May the 21st, 2017. He's given a few interviews talking about how frustrating uh, the period of his injuries were and talking about how it, how it was difficult because there were muscular injuries, a lot of them, and he didn't have a, a kind of set time frame as to when he'd recover and, and would... Um, carry on breaking down unpredictably and uh, said in one interview it got to the point where I said to the medical team to make my schedule opposite to the rest of the boys so I didn't need to act as if everything was okay in front of them anymore so he, he was actually asking to come into the training ground at a different time from the rest of the players because he didn't want to pretend that everything was all right I think he spent a, a period of time at the end of last season in South Africa um, trying to get himself fit for the Champions League final and trying to to you know put all of these injury troubles to bed. But as you as you can see from the statistics for last season, he had a a troubled um, time getting in. What is a very difficult team, obviously the hardest team in the Premier League to get into, uh, because they were the best team in the Premier League this season. So I think it's a bit of a gamble um, on Brighton's part. And you have to hope that it, it pays off for them and they do get a fully fit Lalana who can play the majority, uh, more than the majority of, of games and make a difference to their team. So an interesting one for next season. Um, he was a player who is very highly regarded by his teammates at Liverpool as a professional and uh, someone who could be relied upon uh, when he was fit. Uh, so, for Brighton Hove Albion, that will be something of a departure, but also, um, as Duncan said, a bit of a risk in terms of how that works out or not. 
As we round up today's Transfer Window podcast, we're going to do our hero and villain segment. And uh, Duncan, I'm going to hand over to you for, I, I think I'm handing you hero, um, but I think we have the same answer for both, but I'm going to uh, wait and find out what you say first. Uh, I think two heroes um, this week. One has to be Jamie Vardy, um, the Premier League golden boot at Leicester City at the age of 33. Um, quite a remarkable performance um, and, and quite remarkable the, the, uh, the pace and the physical strength he retains at that age um, where he causes problems to just about every defender in the league. And then I think the other hero has to be Jurgen Klopp, um, who rightfully has been awarded, as you mentioned, the uh, Sir Alex Ferguson Manager of the Year Award. He is the the man who turned Liverpool around, um, ended that 30-year period, and he's very much been the, the figurehead of it, um, followed his own methods, followed his way of playing to its conclusion, went under um, a lot of criticism and under pressure, and, uh, and, and when it took a long time to get it all to work there. So, um, yeah, I think those are the, the two outstanding figures of this Premier League season and, and, and rightful heroes of the week. I think Vardy may just shade it for having achieved his particular award in the shadow of the Wagatha Christie row with, between his wife, Rebecca, and Colleen Rooney, Wayne Rooney's <laughs> wife, um, given the publicity that's been happening over the past 10 days or so regarding a, what looks like it's going to be a rather blockbuster and very expensive high court libel case. Uh, so my villain is going to be Jurgen Klopp. And the reason for this, well, I think Jurgen Klopp, uh, after they beat Chelsea 5-3 in their Premier League match, um, made some comments, which many people thought were over the top. I certainly thought uh, the fact that he was very patronising and indeed quite offensive about Frank Lampard when he said, that Frank needs to learn that these things end after the final whistle. And as a young coach, that's something that he needs to find out for himself. Yeah, we're just a little bit over the top. And also, given that Lampard had climbed down uh, and apologised for the language he used during that part of the match when he had a row with Klopp and his assistants on Liverpool bench, um, from what I'm told from people who are close to the action, it was not Klopp, but one of his assistants who was very uh, condescending towards Lampard and who was the object of Lampard's ire during the game. Uh, no apology was forthcoming. And so for Klopp to then say that Lampard needs to learn because he's a young coach just seems a little bit um, yeah, patronising as far as I can see. And maybe it's Jurgen Klopp who needs to learn uh, not to be uh, as quick to criticise other coaches when there's good reason for them to be upset at his bench. So, Jurgen Klopp, you have made, at the end of this particular season, hero and villain in the Transfer Window podcast, something which I think you share with Seth Blatter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, over the course of the last year. 
That has been the Transfer Window podcast for the first edition of this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please go onto iTunes, give something back, and that's a five-star review. That way the community gets larger. And of course, as previously mentioned at the top of the show, the community is getting larger because we have our own YouTube channel now. Just search at Transfer Window Podcast. And amazingly, having done it myself, there you go, you can get a better recommendation than that. It comes up first on the search. So uh, clearly, we're quite popular. We want to be more popular. So please do, um, if that suits you, listen to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Uh, of course, you can do it on all your normal podcast platforms as well. To continue the debate, please do that as well. Uh, on our social media platforms, which is at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, and individually with Duncan and I on at Duncan Castles on Twitter, and myself at Garbo SJ. We look forward to bringing you another Transfer Window podcast later in the week. Until then, it just leads me to say thank you for listening. Stay safe and be well. Yeah.